Good afternoon, KZMU listeners in Moablandia and out in the world at large. This is Lisa, your host of Great Wide Open, and it is the July 2021 Great Wide Open. I don't know if any of you have noticed, but it's been kind of kind of stinking hot out there. So today we are going to channel our inner Take Me to the River and revisit last year's conversation for the Alt-Rec Summer episode with Natalie Zollinger. And we're going to hear the EP version today because there was a lot of information and great tips for getting started on a paddleboard. And how to take some basic skills from still water to the white water and beyond. Since our conversation last summer, Natalie has also started her own podcast. I will put a link in the show notes as to where to find that podcast. It is called the Eddie Out Podcast, and that is E-D-D-Y. And it can be found on any location you get your pods. She has some really interesting conversations with folks who are really involved with river culture and nonprofits and uh, advocacy and activism. And there's a lot of great info out there. Even if you aren't a total river rat yourself, there is a lot of good stuff out there. So go check out her podcast. There are also some really fun music sessions that you can check out from some of her trips. And we love that connection of music and outdoor activity. For me, it's always been a really fun part of outdoor culture, mixing those two things. There's nothing quite like having a killer jam session on the side of the river or at your favorite campsite at your favorite crag or wherever you might find yourself under the stars. Natalie also has some great workout videos and fitness tips that you can um, find on her website, which is nataliezollinger.com. And for anyone who might want a little boost in their training, it's a great resource and it's a local resource. It's great that we have a lot of resources here in our own little community to tap when it comes to outdoor recreation, fitness and training, or coaching, and a lot of opportunities to get involved with new sports and have professional-level tutelage to get you out the door. If we do another Journey in the Way Back machine to last summer's edition of the summertime alt-rec activities, all of the things that we highlighted in that episode, like Yoga in the Park, and astronomy tours, and roller skating, of course mountain biking. Remember to keep all of those things on your to-do list if you are looking for fun things and possibly different things to do this summer to get outside and enjoy the great outdoors. Hopefully we can all get out there and enjoy the great outdoors without uh, frying our brains too much. On another note, if you tuned into last month's Great Wide Open, and remember it is never too late to tune into Great Wide Open because we are now available in podcast form from the KZMU website or wherever you get your pods. We had conversation with 
a couple of Olympians, uh, one of whom, Kyra Condi, is preparing herself for the debut appearance of sport climbing in the Summer Olympics. Joining sport climbing as a debut sport are skateboarding and surfing. And a really neat documentary just came out on, um, I think it was July 7th, about how these sports found their way to the Olympics. And you can actually find that free on YouTube. It's a collaboration between the Olympics and YouTube, and it is produced by Tony Hawk. So it actually has that degree of credibility to it, representing these sports, which were somewhat outlier sports and are now becoming a little bit more mainstream for better or for ill. I'll let you decide. But check out that documentary. It is streaming free. Also, we have some resources at which you can look to see more about sport climbing and what the format is and who the athletes are. If you are so inclined, you can check that out in the bio for that episode. One more little note I'm going to add before we get to the meat of this week's show is that um, I do have an email for the show. It is kzmugwo at gmail.com. So all just letters, kzmugwo at gmail.com. And I would love to hear your comments about the show. And particularly, I am soliciting comments and video, uh, sorry, audio comments for a show I'd like to do about e-bikes and the role they could serve in our community and how we can get them on possibly more trails or bike paths and what we think are the ins and the outs and the pros and the cons of embracing more e-bike culture in this town. But now let's get down to the meat of this conversation, which is, again, recorded last year with Natalie Zollinger for our Alt-Rec episode. And she's got a lot of really great tips on paddleboarding and paddleboarding technique. So if you have been wanting to get on the river, wanting to try out a paddleboard, possibly been a little intimidated by the thought of going on whitewater, Give a listen to this conversation, and the second half of it has a lot of great tips on how you, or how any of us, can get ourselves from never ever to getting on the paddleboard on flat water, and then possibly navigating west water and beyond. So please sit back and enjoy this conversation with Natalie Zollinger. Hi Natalie, and welcome to Great Wide Open. <laughs> hey, good to be here. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, I am from, born and raised in Utah, so native Utah. I grew up in northern Utah, up by Tremonton, which is like the last town before you get to Idaho, last major town. And I grew up on a farm. My dad was a big farmer. And I am the baby of 11 kids. Did you know that? Didn't know there were eleven. <laughs> there were, yep, or yeah, are. yeah. Our end were, I. So there's eight boys and three girls, and actually my two sisters live here now, Holly and Sherry Sollinger. And we have had three brothers pass away over the years, and so there's only eight of us now. So five brothers and three girls, and there's sixteen years difference, and so 
the farm that I grew up on was not the farm that my older siblings grew up on. We moved there when I was like eight. And so it was maybe three or four of us that grew up there. So I didn't actually grow up with that many siblings in the house. They came back for vacations and um, some of them lived there between gigs, like school and different jobs and traveling. So it was just me and my brother and another brother that was really there. And then the sisters came and went. But the farm had three ponds. And so I've always been a water baby from the moment I can remember. And my name is Nat, or Natalie, but um, there was a natatorium. And so it was this thing that, like, Nat was at the Nat. Like, where's Nat? Oh, she's at the Nat. And so (laughs) that place became a second home. It was like a babysitter for me. And I just loved the water. I loved swimming. I loved playing in it and diving and just, like, anything I could do, especially in the summer times. I was there every day. And then I... I... When I, my last, my third brother passed away, I was 14 and he was an adventurer and he was an extreme athlete and I wasn't really an athlete growing up. I was just more just a farm kid who liked to be outside and jump on the trampoline and try to be like their siblings. And he dove and he dove in high school and and played soccer. And so when he passed away, had a bit of a mental shift in the way I wanted to live my life. It was, I wanted to live a little bit of what he didn't get to live and my life. So I chose then and there to make sure that I did things that he would have done so that he continued on. And so I switched my mentality and I started swimming. I swam competitively and then I wanted to be on the dive team and I played water polo all throughout high school. And I didn't really hike, I wasn't very much of an adventurer and I got to college and I threw in the chlorine towel <laughs> for the running towel, and I was running a lot. And then the, the rugby team, the women's rugby team, I always ran past the, the place they practiced. And one day the coach just came over to me and said, you look strong and you like to run. Do you want to be part of the team? And so I stopped running and I started uh, running. Well, I stopped running for fun and started running away from people. <laughs> but I joined the rugby team. I was there with them for two or three years. And uh, during when I was with the rugby team, I lived in a household where we were friends with a band. And the band members were river guides in the summertime. And so one summer, one of the band members asked us if we wanted to come down and do a Westwater. And so I came down to Moab with a couple friends and we did an overnight Westwater and my mind blew. It's like, wait, this is your job. You guide professionally, you get tan and buff because I <laughs> very much in my body. I've always loved competing and working hard as, as you would on a farm. I just worked, that's what we did. And so I, the next summer I asked them for an in and I got an in with worldwide river expeditions and I became a river guide and it was the best summer, but based off of just my cultural and religious values, it just didn't quite work out to be with them for another year. And so they, um, so we, you know, separated and then I was like, well, all the companies I want to work for aren't really, um, they don't really accept like a second year guide, you know? And so I assumed I was just going to work in a a different place. So I I applied for mile to wild in Durango. And then I went on a private trip, um, here on cat 
with the school with USU with their like outdoor rec program and I saw a bunch of my ORS friends and ended up um, this funny story where I ended up spending the night on a, on one of their commercial trips I motored over and the next day I I was kind of I realized I was on their trip and not mine <laughs> and uh, there's more to the story but more or less I was a little bit awkward because the next so it was a brown Betty if anyone's been down Cataract Canyon and we were across the river at, I think it's Red Lake or Red Lake, Red Lake. yeah so they were coming over to Brown Betty. We let them have Brown Betty because we were on like a nine, seven day trip and they were only on a four day. So we let them have Brown Betty and then they motor, motored over after they left to then have like a layover day. And so I was waiting for my crew to come over and they were rigging, my friends were rigging and I was like, okay, it was a, it was a chartered trip. And basically I, um, I was feeling very awkward and started working. I was like, well, I'm gonna wait for my friends. I might as well do something productive. And so I started helping the chefs they were cooking, and basically, after an hour or so of this, the owner of Oars walked over. I didn't realize he was on the trip, and he came over, and he just came and talked to me and said, I don't believe you're on this trip. <laughs> I was like, nope. I'm actually, my friends are over there, and you could see our camp, and I'm friends with a lot of your guides, and I wanted to come say hey because I'll be working down in Durango, and I just wanted to get, like, a, a last hurrah with, with your guides, um, who are my friends, and he said, well, my name's George Went, and I've been watching you for the last hour or so working and just getting right in there and washing dishes and helping our, our guides and chefs. And uh, so I'm the owner of the company, and I'd like to offer you a job. So I got a job with Oars, and so I called Mal DeWild and said, I just got a job in Moab. And so I worked for Oars that year, and I worked for them for, like, eight years. And, uh, and between here and the dinosaur operation and... Um, I wanted to get over to California, but it was a little intimidating for me. So I kind of just kept with the Moab, San Juan, and uh, dinosaur area. And yeah, that was my guiding. That was kind of me in a nutshell with sports that led from school to guiding. And then it was like Moab's home. Like, this is my place. Guiding was just the things, all the things that I loved and all the challenges I, I wanted in life all put together in one career. It was pretty awesome. So you were really drawn to the water from the get-go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The water's been a huge piece of my life. And and uh, when my brother passed away, <laughs> I stopped. But I grew up Mormon, hence yet 11 kids, <laughs> raised in northern Utah. <laughs> and I just had a hard time believing in in something that would have taken three kids from my parents it was really hard for me I didn't you know I was pretty young still and it was just really it was just a weird thing for me to and my siblings that were older than me had started to leave the church and so I had this influence of like my siblings are gone are out of the church but my parents are Mormon what do I do and I eventually was like well the last brother had passed away and I was like I can't believe in this religion if they if it would have if this is a good challenge for my parents and so I then turned God, my brother, into like a God form. And so on the water, I very much tap into him. And probably more so than in nature or on snow. It's just something about the fluidity of water that makes you feel bigger than what you are or part of something. Well, not bigger, like you're part of something that's bigger. And it's not just you. It's like this energy. And that's where I feel like I can bring him in and let him feel and experience like what I get to experience. 
so water's not only spiritual, but it's, um, yeah, it's everything for me. <laughs> everything. <laughs> it's my language. Yeah. Water's your love language. It is. <laughs> I think there's a sixth love language now. Exactly. Service, <laughs> verbal, gift giving, water. <laughs> I'd buy into that one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a strong force for me, too, coming from the ocean. Mm. Just always have to have water around. Yeah. And I feel lucky that in our desert town that we get that. How did you find yourself on a paddleboard? Yeah. So I met being a river guide for oars one of the years that it was like my seventh year or something Alex uh, Borshevsky who owns 98 Center and Sabaki Sushi was moving over from Sherry Griffith to oars and he was on a a, uh, a training a guide training trip and we met each other and kind of fell in love and it was very magical <laughs> and that fall we decided to Get, get together and, and be partners and Oars was having a 50th uh, celebration for being for, you know in, in a commercial business for 50 years and invited all the Oars from all or all the Oars <laughs> all the guides from Oars from all the locations all throughout the world to Angels Camp California where they're based out of and we went there we decided to do this little road trip and we got there and one of the guides from Oars had paddle boards at Angel's Camp, it's like right on the water, and I'd kind of seen them before, but his name was Brother Rio, he was a Grand Canyon guide, and he's like, you got to try this out, he's a very, he was a very athletic guy, kayaked and boated and got into a dory, and he was just very, he was like a waterman, and he said, you would love this, Natalie, because I would always take the ducky out and try and surf stuff, and I got on, and I fell right off, (laughs) it's like, this thing is hard, and then ironically Alex's aunt and uncle owned like five shops in California called California Canoe and Kayak CCK and so we were able to tell them of this like new sport that we love and like oh yeah well we can send you a paddleboard so they sent him one for his birthday and we took it out on Ken's Lake and like okay this is cool and then we're like well, let's take it out on the river and then just that was the birth of my my passion for paddleboarding and over the years of being um a river guide and being a partner with Alex I just I had to give something up in order to really make I just I didn't want to travel and have a partner so I decided to ground in Moab not guide anymore and um, take up a sport that could keep me home like I didn't want to guide dailies on a raft but guiding on a paddleboard seemed really fun and that's kind of when paddle Moab started and so I reached out to him and became a guide for him and it was so fun. It was like, oh wow, everyone's on their own craft. You don't have to be in charge of anyone. You don't have to pull anyone in. It's like your own your own river experience, your own, what we call whitewater experience. And it was just great. I got to just say, follow me. And if they fell, it's like, it's on them and not me. <laughs> so I loved it. It was so much fun and I'm competitive. So I started to look at like okay well what kind of board are there river boards are there ocean boards I just started to like search paddleboarding competitively and I found that there was a river culture competing and I again competitive and everything I do and I hadn't really embraced that for since rugby really um guiding is kind of not really though and so I wanted to, I, I told Alex, I was like, I want to 
I want to try this. Like, I need to fuel this before I'm old enough that I won't be able to compete at the level that I mentally want to compete in. Like, I wanted to win. <laughs> I didn't want to just, like, go have fun. And I was like, okay, I'm in my 30s. I, I think I could do pretty well in this sport. And it was new. It was really new, especially, especially river paddleboarding. So that was 2012. No, 14. Yeah, 2014. And the sport had started in, like, 2012. So it was only just a couple years old. In the, like, the race circuit started in 2012. And so I reached out to a couple people on social media that looked like my people. And they both responded back to me and said, if you want to compete, get a sponsor, get, you know, do all these things. And, and they told me the circuit that I should choose. And so they said, it's probably going to be, you know, your, your fees are going to be this much, boards are this much. It's pretty affordable considering like other sports. And so I already had a paddleboard and I looked at all the different brands and I found a brand that seemed pretty cool. So I reached out to them and ended up getting on their team and they sent me a board, which was great. And then luckily these people that I reached out to in social media already were ambassadors and athletes to other companies. So they, they did like a, an email, they, um, CC'd me on email with their, um, with their reps like hey this is Natalie she's new she lives in Moab she's got a lot of potential would you want her on the team so I ended up getting on the team with a paddle company a board company and a life jacket company pretty early on because of my connections with the other paddlers and I drove away one one uh I think it was Labor Day that's in May Memorial, Memorial Day so I drove the first races in Memorial Day weekend over in Salida, or Buena Vista, Colorado. No, sorry. Yeah. Yes, Buena Vista, Colorado. And I started competing. And I, luckily I was strong. And so I didn't really do a lot. I Actually, no, I did a little bit of training. I hired Zachariah Levine to train me for a couple months before this. And so he and I trained at Southtown, and I was like, I want to do really well. And so I, I had a pretty good baseline, but I didn't know what I was training for. But he was pretty smart and was like, okay, if you're going to be paddling, you want to have some push and pull, you know, str muscles strengthened. And so we did a lot of lunges and squats. It was super fun. And I did pretty well. I won my first competition <laughs> fully. Like there was like the overall female. I didn't win each. Um, there's different sec uh fields or whatever of a race there's or not a race but of like a festival or a, an event there's like surfing down river paddling um slalom paddling and then sub cross so there's four fields within like an event and I didn't do well in a couple of them but I won the other ones and so overall I I got first I was like what this is my first competition I got first it blew my mind and the girl that gave me all the insights I had beat her no no she wasn't there but she was like whoa Natalie you're really good like good job so then I went to the next race and did okay I think I got third I went to the next race and did like second the next race I got like fourth and I was like wow I'm doing pretty well for just dropping in and then it was just really it's a it's about the race season's about seven weeks so it's not long because it's it's during high water runoff all the river um, places want to use that to the advantage of like a lot of water also makes it hard and there's usually surf waves 
And so it's like this seven week period. And so I finished the entire season and it was really fun. And I had some friends who were like, Hey, you should try ocean paddling. You should start doing like flat water racing. So I continued my circuit, went to like Lake Tahoe and did some flat water races and ended up getting like third and second. I was like, what is going on? Like, Whoa, like, am I good? Or is this, or am I lucky? And so it was hard to tell like where I was in the sport and basically was like, I don't know, but I'm strong. So I'm going to go off that and just keep doing what I know best, which is like fitness and paddling and learning the skills and doing what I can. And yeah, I've been doing that for the past five years. I've changed around a little bit with paddle companies, life jacket companies and board companies, but more or less, those are the three that you really want to make sure that you have an in with because not only, I mean, a life jacket's what, like 200 bucks. So it's not about the money. It's like just about the camaraderie of being with team. And the, those are the, also the three things you really want. Well, the board and the paddle are obvious, but like a good life jacket company on the river is just, it's, it's more just about like teaching people that a life jacket's important. And luckily the one company that I, that I'm sponsored with, they also make shoes. So wearing shoes is really important on the river and a lot of ocean people don't necessarily. So it's just, it's cool. Cause it's also in line with the values that you want to maintain on the river and the safety and equipment. So, so if someone is new to paddle boarding, would they have to have all this equipment to get started? Or is there a way someone can kind of stick their toes in the water, so to speak, and get up on a board? Yeah. If you're new at paddle boarding, I would say it depends on what area you live in and what your water source is. So if it's a lake, you don't need as much gear as you would if it's a lazy river. And then a lazy river, you don't need as much gear as a really fast moving river. And then also there's the ocean. And so there's a lot of, of values that the sport has already based off of just the traditions of being in the ocean versus the river. But here in Mo, let's just say here in Moab, I would say if you just want to go out to Ken's Lake and have a good time and maybe even take your dog and maybe go fishing or just challenge yourself a little bit or even just be able to get offshore and enjoy the water and not just see it from the, the shore's perspective, you just need a good paddleboard. And the paddleboards usually, when you buy a paddleboard, you get a pump, you get a leash, you get, some of them now come with a paddle, like a breakdown paddle. And that's really all you need and um, a good time. And like a, it's what's cool about paddleboarding is you, you have as much fun alone as you do with people. But when you're alone, you want to be careful. Um, you know, there's a consciousness of, of wanting to go out and explore on your own. But then there's kind of this like, well, you want to make sure you're safe and you're also respecting nature. And that if you're alone, make sure, making sure that you tell people where you are. But I don't, I don't necessarily push that a lot. Like, Oh, go have this experience only by yourself. Like have a buddy. So unfortunately you have to buy two paddle boards <laughs> so that you never, <laughs> so you make sure you're never alone, but that's, that's really entry. There's not a lot of barrier of entry to paddle boarding. It's, it's a board, it's a paddle and a pump if it's an inflatable or a hard board and maybe straps so you can put it on top of your car and that's it. So you can get boards from Costco that are pretty affordable, but I don't know how long they'll last up to something at like gear trader, someone's used, you know, paddleboard or brand new. I know that it takes 
seeing the amount of money you would spend on one paddleboard, it's a lot, but like the company I paddle for, Badfish, you'll, that will be the one board you'll always have. Like nothing, it, it won't pop. It won't, you know, the, the, the deck pad won't peel off the next year. I mean, Moab, the Moab weather really does a number on the paddle boards here, but more or less, if you choose a really good board, that will be the board you have for the rest of your life. You said when you first got on a paddle board, you um, pretty quickly fell down or fell into the water. Uh, so there is a little bit of balance and figuring out where to be on the board. How do you get started on figuring out how to stay up on your paddle board and find your balance and find your center? Mm-hmm. So when you're first learning paddle boarding, it's, you're never really forced to stand on something that's unstable in life and so it's a new experience and you get all these muscles that have never had to really engage for a long period of time we call them the balance muscles and so when you first stand up your whole body's shaking it's a bit scary like oh my gosh why am I shaking so much you look down and your legs are just on fire and it's humbling but what's cool about paddleboarding, and I think that's why it's taking off, is A, you're standing on water, which everyone wants to do, their own, their own gods, right, standing on water. And then the second thing is those balance muscles, because they're so small, like fast or small twitch muscles, they understand what, after you're on the paddleboard for a little bit, they understand what needs to happen, so they engage really fast, and that twitch or that, like, the, the shakiness goes away. So on a one-hour paddle board, either down the river or on the Kent's Lake, when you're done, you're like, oh my gosh, I'm just standing. I'm not really shaking as much as I was at the beginning. So you see progress really fast. And yes, you're going to swim a lot and you're going to fall in a lot. And I did. And I was so challenged by the idea of like, what are my skills to A, either stand on the board well or B, compete, that I actually took that and... Um, started teaching people I went and got certified so that I could teach people so that being in that that gray area is not awesome and if you get on and you fall in like three or four times I fell in a lot my first river um, paddleboard trip that can make you pretty bummed out and not wanting to go back and so I went and got the skills so that I could get you through that that period of time where you're swimming and tell you why you're swimming or give you the tools I mean even just like shifting the weight into the the ball of your foot versus your heel is going to get gain like 200 percent more success just thinking about oh right i just keep i know it, some people would think it and some people wouldn't but there's just little things that will make your success huge whether it's on flat water or the river and so i teach now um river skills and drills and uh i train guides and it's just been what i do because i if you give them a few little tips, it like this, their their love and their drive for wanting to go out again is just huge. And then they're like, okay, and then they're friends, and it's just this ripple effect because it's such a cool experience. You want everyone to, to to try it out. My mom even stood up. She's like seventy six. Is like wow. Or no, maybe when she was, it was like seventy four. But still, I was like, mom, you're paddleboarding. So that's what's cool too is you don't have to be young and in shape. Um, Paddle Moab, we see so many shapes and sizes and ages of people that go down the river. Some that have never paddleboarded before and their first time is going to be on a river. And if you can give them a few a few of those skills, then 
the end of the day, they're just so happy and they can't wait to go buy a board and do it in their hometown. What are three of your favorite tips for somebody who's just getting on a paddle board? What would be the recommendations you would make to them? So you don't want to overwhelm people with too much information when they're just, just getting started, but it's nice to have a few things that you can easily focus on that are going to help set you up for success. Yeah, so three tips to someone who's brand new at paddleboarding is, you know, get your board inflated. It's going to be like five because it's going to go from land to the water because there's success in a few things you do before you even get on the water. Pumping your board so they're on the valve. Every board has a recommended PSI. So every board has a recommended PSI and going to that, if not more, and then, so say most boards are like 15 PSI, which is parts, what is PSI? Oh my gosh. Pounds per square Thank inch. you. <laughs> I'm like CFS, that's the only one I know. <laughs> wow, pounds per square inch. Okay, that was humbling. So <laughs> uh, you pump your board up and then you put it in the water. So heat expands, right? So your board's gonna be really taut. And then when you put it in the water, it deflates a little bit because cold air um, shrinks or whatever. And so though it will come down at least three PSI. And you want it really, so this is for an inflatable board. If you have a hard board, don't, you have to, don't have to worry about pumping it up. So you'll want it to be at matched at that PSI from the water, like from being cooled down, if not a couple more PSI more. So I usually say mine's like 15. I usually go to like 16 or 17 for the river. So a really top board um, inflated is going to be a lot more stable. So now you're, you know, your board, your, your, your gear is ready for you um, and you're set up for success and you you know you get on your knees because you don't want to start standing and you get yourself out from shore and so the first key I would say is momentum so momentum is your friend especially on the river but on a lake you want to get that board moving because that that speed helps your stability the slower you go or the just the more stationary you are the more you feel those balance muscles um, and having to engage without propelling yourself forward. So momentum. And then the second thing is when you go to stand up, the feet need to be pretty wide. So what I like to do is teach happy everyone on land do a squat. Show me your squat. And then some squats are narrow. And I'm like, well, can you get low in this that squat? No. Okay, so feet need to be wide. And so that when you when you get your butt down and do a squat, that you're pretty stable from side to side. And then the third thing I would say is keeping your gaze to the horizon or maybe one or two board lengths in front of your board. Because when you look down or you have the board in your periphery, it messes up with your your balance, um, your, what's that called? Your, um, ver- your not vertigo. Line or- yeah, you're saying. <laughs> oh, yeah. You're, you're not, vertigo. Well, vertigo is when you're, that's off. But your overall, like, internal balance Um so when you have when you see the board shaking and you see the little waves coming off the board that messes up with your equilibrium there we go so you want to keep your gaze up so you have momentum so you pat a little a a few strokes on your knees put your hands down stand up get your feet wide immediately put the paddle in the water and keep that momentum going and then look up to the horizon or just a couple board lengths so you're looking at really glassy water or on the river you're looking at water that's moving that's not so shaky and 
if you can keep yourself moving forward, keep that wide stance so that you can, you can really control the rails or the sides of the board and keep your gaze up, you're set up for success, like 75% more with just those three tips. Absolutely. Do you, when you're paddling, you're using one paddle in the water as opposed to a lot of people, I guess it's more like a canoe paddle type mm -hmm. situation. So it could be really easy to go from side to side. What's a good way to keep your paddle board running straight and true? Yeah, so to keep the board moving and straight, there's a couple strokes that transfer over from kayaking, canoeing, and and uh, and paddle guiding on the river. So obviously just the forward stroke keeps you moving forward. But if you just stay on one side, your board's going to start going to the right or left if you, unless you switch sides. So on a paddle board, unfortunately, you have to switch sides a lot to be able to keep the board straight. Second thing is you don't necessarily want to, on a paddle raft, you do like a J stroke. On a, on a paddle board, you, you almost impose that, so you do like a draw stroke. So instead of doing a forward stroke and then it's like a rudder at the end, you do the rudder first. So it's called a draw where you pull the water towards the nose of your board and then you follow that with a forward stroke and what that does is it gives you an angle it it it's almost like ratchets the board one way so that when you propel yourself forward it goes straight so it's like if you think of a clock the board's at noon when you do a draw stroke you bring your board to 11 and then when you take a forward stroke you bring your board back to 12 so you can you're able to stay on one side a lot longer by incorporating a draw stroke and and I would say as far as just moving yourself forward the forward stroke and the draw stroke are really important to be able to keep your board going straight and not only with your paddle but the fins on your board will help keep yourself tracking if you have just one little fin there's not a lot keeping your board in you know, connected to the surface of the water. So the more fins you have, the straighter you'll go. The longer board you have, the straighter you'll go. You'll go. The shorter board is more of like a shoe. You know, having you're just short and fat, and or the the board is short and wide, and each stroke is your that nose of the board goes from like ten o'clock to two o'clock to ten o'clock each stroke you take. So the longer the board you have. I could go five or six strokes on one side before I switch because of just the amount of, um, you know, volume you have on the water. So if someone wants to do more of a cross country journey on a lake or a river, they would want to have a longer, more stable board. But if they want to mess around in some white water, they would have a shorter, more agile board. Yes. So the shape of your board really affect, affects like the way it performs on the water. So if you're on the lake, and you want to go for speed or training or almost like a good workout, you want a long board that's skinny, but think about it. So if it's going to be skinny, it's going to be a little bit less stable, but you have that length that will help make up for that narrowness. And it, it will go straight, but the longer board you have, the harder it is to turn. So you have to start to understand, okay, I need to shift my body weight or I have to change my stance, which is like the way your feet are on the board to get it to turn. On the, on the river, you want a shorter board that's more maneuverable because you have rapids and currents and eddies that you have to navigate and you want to be able to move that thing. And you don't necessarily need it to track straight all the time because a 
rapid isn't always straight and a move you need to make real quick isn't always straight it's maybe sideways or at an angle and so a typical length for flat water would be anywhere between 11 feet long to 14 feet long and that's just for play if you're actually racing they have you'll see on the race it gives you a board recommendation you can't go more than 14 feet it has to be under 12 feet or whatever so like josh for paddle moab he has a a race called the back of beyond race and his um, maximum length is 14 so everyone wants the, like the maximum length because then that's the faster you'll go and and the more the less strokes you have to take the shorter board the more strokes you have to take so again for flat water 11 feet to 14 is going to give you a really great workout and also each stroke is going to go that much for, further with your board so that you can cover more distance for rivers and and currents for rivers that have currents up to whitewater your board wants you want it to be anywhere from nine feet to 11 feet 11 is a little long so you have to really learn how to maneuver it and going and getting a, like a going to and like for me if you want to hire me to just for an hour or two show you how to maneuver yourself or go on a paddle moab trip and ask the guides hey can you show me how to move my board around like getting a little tip from someone who knows and teaches will help your success like 10 times more so again nine feet to 11 feet nine feet's gonna be great because you'll be able to maneuver it and move it around but again you have to you're able to maneuver it and get around so it will move more than maybe you want so it's knowing how to control your board 11 feet will be really great. You'll be able to crush whites. But again, oh, so with width on the flat water, like 11 to 14 feet with like 28 feet to 32 feet wide. Inches? Inches. Oh, feet, sorry. <laughs> 11 feet by, 11, yeah, 11 feet by 28 inches wide. 28 to 32 inches wide. Yes. So it sounds like a 10 or 11 foot board would be a good average for somebody who just wants to get out on all the different types of water surfaces. And then from there, maybe they figure out what their niche is going to be, if they're going to be a master generalist or, <laughs> or specializing, because we all like to be master generalists in Moab. <laughs> yeah. No one wants to, we have the FOMO big. We don't want to miss <laughs> out on, on any activity, whether it's Ken's Lake or whitewater <laughs> or flat water. If someone is getting started in paddleboarding, what would be the best stretch of a whitewater section for them to start out on? I know some of our rapids can have weird hydraulics for paddleboards, like Big Bend has a little bit of infamy for seeming innocuous after you've done all this flat water. And then most of my paddleboard friends have been ejected at Big Bend. <laughs> but um, what would you recommend? Yeah, so a great stretch of river in Moab would be starting at mile six and a half and going to the bridge. That's like the first entry level section also that Paddle Moab does. He calls it his flat water trip, flat water fun. And you get a couple riffles. You're able to get the the six and a half rapid or riffle. And then there's a couple more boogie water s stretches that offer a little bit of challenge and then it's all flat water. So that's a really great section like I would take my nephew who's 12 I would take a younger kid there's not a lot that they have to worry about navigation wise then what's great about our our river is that you just go up another section and it goes up the next level of difficulty so then if you're like okay that was really fun I want more so now go up to like either 
Big Sandy or Takeout Beach or Brittany's Beach and then go to mile six and a half. So now you get a couple, um, not really a lot of name drop, it's like salt wash, but you get a lot more boogie water and things you have to navigate. And not a lot of consequence, but you you don't ever want to really say that with the river because it's always, right, moving water is a consequence. But it's, it's a little bit less than like west water. So then you're like, okay, that was great, and that was really fun. Now I want more. So then you do the daily, which is starting at either Hiddle Bottom, Hiddle Bottom or Onion Creek, and you go to either Brittany's Beach, Big Sandy, or Takeout. And then you're like, Natalie, I want more. Okay, well, come join me on Westwater and have a good time. That one is like, you got to, if you can navigate Rocky Rapid, New Rapid, and White's, if you can navigate yourself and make a move in those rapids, you're ready for Westwater. If you're like, well, I've, I've paddled through new. Well, were, have, were you able to navigate through it or did you just survive going straight? So if you can make, if you, what, what I mean by navigate is if you can go from the right side of the river to the left side of the river to the right side of the river in a rapid without swimming, you'll be able to get Westwater because it is making moves within a wave. Like in a wave train, you, can, you don't just go down the wave train, maybe you have to go from right to left. So you have to cross the current. Maybe you have to make a move and then go back to the right side of the river. And so if you can navigate, I would say practice in those rapids and call me, <laughs> send me a message on Facebook and let's go down West water. And that's definitely the next level. And then just recently for the first time I did cat. I did that last week and that was really fun because I guided it and I knew the rapids. I did rapids, um, one through, Ben Hurt and I chose not to do Ben Hurt. I went on the left side. I just didn't know. I just didn't want to swim it. <laughs> and I took out at Big Drop 1, 2, and 3 and then I put back in um, after that and finished it because I wanted to see it from a raft's perspective with a paddler's mind. Big Drop 1 would be a scary swim but there wouldn't be a ton of consequence. It would just be a big swim. Big Drop 2 I would do now that I've been in it in a boat. And big drop three, again, like one, it's just like, once you enter, it's just like, blah, 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 blah. I'm not, there's no chance for me to stand up through that. And that's something you have to think about. If you see a rapid and you're like, I don't want to swim that, then don't paddle it. Because there's a lot of swimming and paddling. And it's pretty discouraging to the point where you're like, I don't want to be in the sport anymore. But just keep pushing through it because that, the, the way that you get, that you get so the exponential growth of your skill on a paddleboard is insane and I don't know if you see this in climbing and mountain biking but like someone can do flat water and then they can do white water and then they can like maybe stand up through a, a rapid on their third try like you've been on this three times and you're so much better like every time you do it you're so much better because your body's like oh I remember this I've got to like engage and especially if you do a clinic with me or with Josh, with Paddle Moab, you'll get the skills that will just, again, advance you and advance you. And it's just incredible to see the advancement from a paddler's perspective. Well, thank you so much, Natalie, for sitting down with us and telling us about your love of the river and how to get us started on our paddle boards and hopefully stay up on our paddle boards. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm going to be teaming up with Josh with Paddle Moab, and we're going to do some skills and drills out at Ken's Lake. You don't need a river to learn the skills for the river. And so 
what I teach is like an hour, I call it ninja boot camp. <laughs> and what I do is make you move all over that board because that's kind of how it is. I mean, if you think about what is it like to paddle through a rapid, well, put a board on a mechanical bull and see if you can last. <laughs> that's what it feels like. You have no idea what's coming at you. And so out at Ken's Lake, we can do a lot of fun stuff where we drop knees and we learn how to brace and we you know we walk all over our board and we have different stances that and I teach you why you would want one stance versus the other and really like educate you so that you can make when you go out on the water maybe it's not the thing you want to do all the time but at least when you go out you're efficient and you're using the right skills and drills and and gear to get you set up last thing I didn't really mention this but one piece of gear that doesn't transition from the ocean to the river is the leash the type of leash that comes with a paddleboard an ankle leash and just i mean a lot of people that live in moab know that a foot entrapment is pretty scary and so is ropes right and so if you're wearing a leash on the river you want to get that ankle leash off your ankle and it's usually just like a piece of velcro that's like a circle right but they make a lot of adapters um to, to put that piece of leash, the Velcro, into a carabiner that has a quick release mechanism off of it. So get that thing off your ankle because you don't want to be stuck with something if you get trapped or wrapped that you have to fight the current to grab your ankle and it's just a scary situation. You want to be able to release yourself from your torso. Like you'll be able to want that quick release method off, like around your torso versus down by your ankle. And it's just a really cool like unlocking carabiner that when you pull on this little, what they call the donkey ball, if you pull on the donkey ball, it opens up the carabiner and releases you from your paddleboard. So if there's one piece of advice is pretty much every single board company, they will not, it, your, your leash doesn't come with a releasable method. It's an ankle leash. So if you're li listening to this, NRS, Badfish, Hala, there's a couple companies. I paddle for Badfish, so of course I'm always going to throw their name out. But they have an, a, a couple mechanisms that you can, if you don't want to, if you don't have a lot of money, there's a belt that you can put that thing in that releases off your system, off your body. Or just get a sweet releasable leash that's coiled. If you're like, wow, Natalie, there's an 8, a 12, and a straight leash and a coiled leash, like which one do I do? I would say go with the coil. I know it stretches, but it, it, it doesn't hang and you don't trip yourself up on it. So go with a coil and go with like an eight foot coil and you'll be set to go. That's so great. If someone wants to take one of your classes with Josh, how do they go about doing that? Yeah, so I have a company called River to River. Um, it's RVR, the number two RVR. And it's put on pause since 98 Center came around. <laughs> and I had to drop everything to go manage. And well, I didn't have to. I wanted to. I wanted the challenge. I'm competitive. So I was like, oh, okay, here I go. Something to compete in. With It was really myself. Like, could I do this? Could I manage a river company or a, a restaurant? And it was the coolest experience ever. And I love 98 Center. And it's always going to be dear to my heart. Um, but I had to put a lot of stuff on pause to do that. And so... Now that we have an awesome team running the show down there, I'm able to put some more time back in the river and so and teaching. So I'm not doing a lot here. I don't really have permits, but I work with Josh. So I can either do a river to river thing or something, or you can hire me to go down the river with you with Paddle Moab and ask, you can, I can teach you all the skills and drills 
on the river, like on a section of river, the Flatwater Fund, the Splish Splash, which is like from the BLM takeout, Sandy, to mile six and a half, or the, the daily stretch, which is, we usually do Onion Creek to Sandy. I can teach you all those things from Ken's Lake to the river, but what's fun about Ken's Lake is we can get more people doing it. So I could get 20 people and teaching, like all your friends. So that's the only difference is the river is, um, the guide ratio is four or six clients to one guide. And out there, it's a lot more because there's not current and dangers and, uh, well, you know, water is always a little bit, but more or less, it's pretty, pretty easy to get a lot of people. So look for some stuff with Josh, um, with, uh, you know, the skills and drills, and I don't know what I'm going to call it, but we're going to do some stuff out there. And you can always call Josh and say, hey, can I hire Natalie as a guide? And then he'll call me and then we'll figure out a time. But I do want to say that I'm actually... I think some people have tried and it's failed, but I'm working on getting a whitewater park in Moab. And there's a couple places that the BLM has seen would be really, really great. One being Lions Park because we have the footbridge there, but a lot of the guides or paddlers, kayakers, surfers, Big Bend makes a little bit more sense because it's already constricted, has a really clean eddy, it has parking, it has bathrooms, it has the same thing, and it, it would be easier to work with. But the company that I paddle, that I um, am an, an athlete for is called Badfish, and the two owners that own Badfish, one of them builds whitewater parks as well. It's what he does. He built the Salida, the Buena Vista whitewater park, the one in Denver, there's one in Ohio. He built the one in Montrose, and there is a diversion dam in Green River, and he cleaned that up, and now it's like a kayak wave. So he makes a really great wave, and we're on the first level of talking about it, getting a system in place, the steps needed, the Army Corps of Engineers, talking to the BLM, talking to this. I've been talking to the city, and it's, it's a little seed right now, but my goal is I have time, and it's one of my passions is surfing, and I can't get it here and I want it. I think it would be a really great thing for the community and every single town that has a whitewater park has immensely grown based off that and I think Moab with its river climbing mountain biking culture I think it would be a really great addition. Obviously I'm going to be very respectful of this process and I'm going to hear all sides of every single story but I have the time and energy and I want to try and see if it's a possibility. I think that sounds great. Yeah. Moab Whitewater Park, Woo. coming soon to <laughs> coming a river near you. <laughs> well, I hope you get out on the water today and this whole month. Let's all try to get as much water time as we can because it's important to keep our sanity here during these 100-degree days. Yes. And I really appreciate you taking the time to sit down and tell us about your passion and love for the water. Thank you. And as my friend says, to help and high water.